So there's an Instagram that has jokes by kids. You know how dad jokes get a little tiresome? There's an Instagram account that does this. It's a guy who basically runs across kids and he he gets them to write jokes. And the good ones go to one place and the ones that aren't very good, they wind up here. <laughs> and you can check it out at Kids Write Jokes. Here's an example. What did the judge say to the cow? You're out of order. See, it doesn't make any sense. It's written by a kid. This is actually my favorite one. And this is one that I hope I hear somewhere else. What is the difference between fire and sand? This is a joke written by a kid. We don't know what age. What is the difference between fire and sand? Sand isn't helpful. I love that joke. But here's my point in all of this. In making these jokes or asking kids to make up the jokes, I really think the guy who's put together this account has hit on some truth in the joke making. Here uh, here are a couple of examples. How do you get a date? You kiss an egg. Don't you wonder if that same child who came up with that joke was saying, Daddy, uh, why are you kissing that egg? Mommy, why, why are you kissing that egg? Uh, here's another one. Why did your mom not go to the bank? Because she had no pants on. Hmm? See, there could be truth to that one. And my favorite one from that line of joke writing is this one. Why did dad poo on the couch? He drank too much coffee. See, Uh, kids will say the darndest things, but a lot of times they're things they've already seen. Welcome to London Live. We are going to talk about broke millennials. Hmm? We don't want broke millennials, but being a millennial right now, and I don't know exactly what the years are for millennials and Generation Squish and Generation Z, and I have no idea. After baby boomers, it all gets murky. If you're a baby boomer, you've been proud of that from from birth, and rightly so. You are a baby boomer. And other things, I, I have no idea where they fall in, but I do know that young people are having a lot of trouble making money. And young people are facing a very difficult task when it comes to, oh, I don't know, buying a house. So we're going to look at broke millennials in about a half hour from now. We are also going to talk about Margaret Wills, because we're actually going to talk with Margaret Wills. Margaret Wills was at City Hall yesterday, and boy, did she come and make, uh, I don't want to say a scene, because it wasn't a scene, but make a whole lot of sense. It was actually backed up by the city when we're talking about homelessness. And Margaret Wills is going to join us on the show in an hour from now, and I'm very excited to talk with her. Margaret's a very passionate person, and I think we're all going to get along just fine, and we'll see what we can solve in an hour from now. And we have a new segment as well that's going to come up later in the show called Can You Deal With That? First off, though, we're going to talk food. Last night, and I don't know, are you at this point? I mean, if you if you eat meat, you always enjoy a good steak. And I'm not going to say I don't enjoy a good steak because I enjoy not even a good steak, just steak every once in a while. You get the horseradish on it. Sometimes you get the onions and the mushrooms that you cook up on the barbecue. And you put those on top. 
I mean, it's it's good, good marinated steak every once in a while just to mix things up. So I am definitely not anti-meat. Can't see myself ever becoming a complete vegetarian or a complete vegan. But two things. We're sitting at the dinner table yesterday, and we're eating chicken. And my wife, Kirsten, looks up and she goes, and she's a good cook. She says, is anybody else sick of chicken? And three hands went up in the air. There are only three other people sitting at the table with her. I even think one of the cats threw up a paw. But, yeah, yeah, kind of kind of tired of chicken, to tell you the truth. And kind of tired of pork and kind of tired of, of all of it. And in doing so, we got looking around today. And we found a little something that was written by Leslie Young, who is a national online journalist covering health for Global News. Leslie does a fantastic job. And she just so happened to have a little thing for all of us that deals with not just chicken, but if we can classify white meat completely. It's called Reality Check. Is white meat as bad for your heart as red meat? And it looks at a study that has been done that asks that question. And we're lucky enough to have with us right now on London Live, Leslie Young, to go through this study and some of the things that she's uncovered. Because she didn't just go to the study and say, okay, here's what it says. The study says that. Leslie was able to talk with a number of other people about some of the issues that exist in eating meat entirely. Leslie, great to have you with us on London Live. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. You've looked at things in the past that deal with Canadians wanting to eat less meat. Uh, Now, all of a sudden, maybe there's a suggestion that the type of meat isn't what we thought it might have been. Because it's always uh, red meat. Watch out. Don't eat too much red meat. What are we hearing now about white meat? Well, so there was a study that uh, just came out a couple weeks ago that tried to compare the effects of white meat versus red meat on your cholesterol. And uh, what they found uh, by measuring people's blood after they were on a diet of either white meat or red meat was that actually it seemed to change their cholesterol about the same amount. It didn't really matter which meat they were eating. Huh. And yet we've always thought, yeah, the, the red meat, that's, that's the bad stuff. We should eat more chicken. Doesn't pork count as a white meat? <laughs> That's a good question. I, mean, I think it might be a red meat. I'm not 100% sure on that. I, I don't think it knows. I think it kind of swings no. back and forth. So you were able to talk with some people about this. What did you find? Well, so not only in this study did they compare white meat to red meat, they actually also compared it to plant protein. So things like tofu, beans, that kind of thing. And actually, the people who were eating the plant-based diet, their cholesterol seemed fine. It didn't rise the same way that either of the meats did. So that was one of the big findings in this study. Um, But a lot of the people I spoke to, they noted, you know, this is one study, and it was looking at one very specific thing. It was looking at cholesterol and some of the other proteins in your blood. It didn't track, you know, whether years down the line these people would have had a lot more heart attacks or anything like that. It was just looking at this one little indicator. So the people I talked to said, you know, this is really interesting, but at this point they're not saying, you know, throw out the chicken. We're talking with Leslie Young, senior national online journalist, 
with Global News, and we're talking about the health field and a study that looks at red meat, white meat, and cholesterol levels. There was also a, a link to type 2 diabetes in this, wasn't there? Well, there was. So that's something that has been discussed for a while with red meat. You know, when we were talking about all these problems associated with red meat, uh, it, that's one of them. There's been some looks at links there. It's also been linked to cardiovascular disease uh, and even just mortality in general. Um, but that is especially if you're talking about processed red meat. Gotcha. One of the other things that you were able to focus in on was different kinds of white meats. And maybe that's, that's how we, we have to break this apart. You talked with a dietitian for heart and stroke. What did they tell you about different kinds of white meat? Yeah, well, what they were saying was that in this study that, that we're talking about, they didn't really say whether people were eating, say, you know, like a, a white, uh, white meat, uh, chicken breast kind of thing without any skin versus a whole chicken leg. And, you know, there's a lot of difference in terms of the fat content of one versus the other. So that's something that this dietitian really thought, you know, we should take a closer look at, uh, do some more research on, you know, maybe it's fattier kinds of white meat that are the problem and uh, a plain chicken breast is just fine. Gotcha. So mostly, though, everybody's saying this is one study. Take it as one study, but take a look at the information in it, and uh, and we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, basically. And the other thing they all said, too, was, you know, take a look at your plant-based protein, and if you can increase that, uh, so much the better. Leslie, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks very much for having me. Leslie Young, national online journalist covering health for Global News. And here's why this becomes a great topic. I mean, we have heard about where our meat is going to be made in 20 years from now. We're going to see a lot more lab things, maybe a lot more plant-based proteins. If you look at the cost of meat right now, I'm surprised we're not doing that already. That we don't have more people saying, yeah, yeah, I'm not paying 15 bucks for four skinny, rubbery chicken breasts. Not me. Not in. Sorry. And if you look at the ground beef, I mean, look at the packages of ground beef. Now, we were warned this was going to happen simply because we have seen a lot of farmers, for instance, in the United States getting out of cattle ranching. We have had some pretty devastating droughts that have caused issues for their farms. Uh, we years ago saw mad cow disease. So we knew that that was on the rise. But it's it's getting a little crazy. It really is. In order to buy a package of ground beef, throw together some tacos, you're getting to a point where you say, you know, I, I could go to a taco wagon. And aren't you glad taco wagons are a thing that exists? I could go to a taco wagon, and I could buy some tacos for the entire family, and it would come out to about the same price. That's where we're headed. So why do we look at this and say, yeah, we'll we'll just keep eating the same way we have? Have you looked into plant-based proteins? Personally, I haven't. I've I've tried black bean brownies and a, yeah okay I've I've given some of those things a shot but at the same time no I'm I still like that steak and and I still like chicken but I'm thinking it it's time to broaden 
It's time to look at that stuff. And in a moment, we are going to speak with somebody who is vegan, who knows their plant-based proteins, and who can tell us maybe what we need to do in order to at least give this a shot. That's all I'm saying. I'm willing to give something a shot because I'm tired of... You know, I'm tired of the same tastes, and I'm tired of paying the prices that I am at the grocery store. So there's got to be another way. Up next, Jacqueline Carbone will take us through that other way. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're exploring eating. It's an important thing to do. We actually need to do it. Otherwise, things don't go well. Drink your water. Eat your... Meats, fruits, vegetables, they changed the Canada Food Guide a little while ago. But we just talked with Leslie Young, national online journalist covering health for Global News. And she told us about a study, if you're just joining us, that showed that, you know, white meat, mm, maybe not all that great if, if you're looking at cardiovascular disease. Now, it, the study didn't break down with skin on the chicken or how much fat is in your pork chop or any of those things. But it did look at the fact that, yeah, eating meat and cardiovascular disease, they're kind of hand in hand. And I look at the price. I'm a cheap guy. I call it responsible, but it, I'm cheap. I know that. And I hate looking at the cost of meat. We walk down the meat aisles, not even really aisles. We walk around kind of in the grocery store and you just look and you go, seriously? And then we walk away from it. And sometimes we'll end up buying processed stuff just because it's cheaper. So I'm thinking maybe there's, a, maybe there's a new way. Maybe we're tired of the chicken and tired of the same old stuff we've been eating. Maybe there's another way. And one of the things that Leslie Young brought up was your plant-based proteins. And if you talk with someone who is vegetarian or someone who is vegan... This is an essential part of their diet. And we just so happen to have an amazing producer who you know as Jacqueline Carbone, and she happens to be vegan. Jacqueline, how long have you been vegan? Um, almost uh, three years now. It's uh, kind of a, It was kind of a long journey. I did it for a couple of years when I was in university, and uh, things got a little rough, so I ended up going back to eating meat, but uh, kind of uh, found my moral values again, and I've uh, been doing it. Me and my partner have been doing it for about three years now. Three years. Okay, so... When we're looking at plant-based proteins, see, maybe this is why I don't give veganism a shot or vegetarianism a shot or even incorporate that into the diet because uh, I'm going to write down plant-based proteins on this piece of paper and I'm going to write down how many of them I know. You ready? Okay, I've written plant-based proteins. I'm stumped already. I have no <laughs> idea what one of them even is. It's um, honestly vegan and vegetarian cooking. You you open up your your world to a whole new your eyes to a whole new world of of ingredients and things that you never really knew of. Um, so the, the the first ones that come to people's mind usually are like tofu, um, and then beans. Okay. Um, and there is like a variety of different beans, like so many different beans and lentils that are a different uh, different source of protein that you can get like. For anything, and you can make that into burgers, you can make it into stews, you can make it into, um, you combine them together and blend them together, make it into a meatloaf if you want. Um, so there's tons of stuff. So there, and then there's tempeh, there's chickpea flour, which I use to make omelets and uh, scrambled eggs, I guess. You can mm -hmm. scramble tofu as well. Um, and then vital wheat gluten is uh, one of the staples in our, in our home. 
Um, if you're a gluten intolerant, then you can't have fetal wheat gluten. That doesn't mean you can't be vegan or you can't ha- have access to all these uh, other options. Um, but um, it's, uh, it's a good uh, way to... So it's the protein in wheat. Um, so it's not like the carbs of wheat. It's the protein in it. And you, it's kind of like a flour. And you mix it with some other stuff, some liquids. And you uh, either boil it or steam it or bake it. And uh, I've made ribs. I've made uh, just blocks of like like salami, I guess you could call it, where you can like slice it on a on a on a meat slicer, and uh, yeah, it's uh, I've always you can make whatever whatever flavor you want, whether it's corned beef or roast beef or or like chicken flavored or stuff like that. So um, yeah, there's tons of options. Okay, if we're making dinner at home, it's very easy to defrost a package of chicken, uh, make up some rice, make sure you got a vegetable, put it on the plate, done and done. I often think that being vegan is really challenging because you have to know, okay, well, I can turn this into this, and I there seems to be another step to it. Is it time-consuming to be vegan? Um, I don't I don't personally think so. I think when you first get into it, it might be, uh, it takes some effort to learn, right? You just, you're so used to cooking meats and cooking with cheeses and dairy and stuff like that, that it's hard to um, kind of get out of that bubble. You're like, what am I supposed to cook? Because no one's told you or society um, has shown you that like there's not really another way. Um, so it took me a while to kind of get uh, get um, get all these things in my mind and have all these things on hand at home. Um, but I shop in bulk, so I buy vital wheat gluten in bulk. I buy chickpea flour in bulk, so I constantly have them on hand. Um, it takes like, you can't just defrost it and throw it in the in the oven, um, you can if you go to a store and decide to buy one of the processed, one of the more processed meats, where you get like a veggie dog or veggie sausages or something like that. Will you eat that kind of thing? I do. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I try to not eat processed foods as much. Um, obviously, for it's just better for you to eat whole foods and uh, whole vegetables and stuff like that. But such is life, right? Sometimes it's just easier to uh, grab a packet of something when you're in a rush. Um, but yeah, there's tons and tons of stuff. And uh, for time-wise, uh, I think it's, at first I think it took me a little bit longer. But like now that I know what to do and I don't necessarily have to follow recipes as much, um, I kind of just throw everything in a bowl. Like the Vital Wheat Gluten uh, takes about 45 minutes to um, to steam um, if you're doing it that way, and which like kind of takes long. But to actually like prepare, you kind of just throw it in a bowl, put it together, let it steam, go do whatever you want for an hour, come back, it's ready to go, and you can cook it with the rest of your stuff. Global News Radio 980 CFPL producer Jacqueline Carbone with us as we explore. Because if you're going to reduce the amount of meat you're eating, and more and more, you know, you can read whatever study you want to, but you're going to see, hey, can you cut down a little bit on the red meat? Maybe the doctor says, eh, you know what, the cholesterol is rotting up a little bit. What's the diet look like? Let's send you over to our dietitian and have them talk with you. Jacqueline, let's explore price. If we're looking at the cost of everything rising, sure, things that you're going to need to be vegan are going to rise. But overall, is it expensive? Like, are you having to buy $45 beans in order to make something to eat? Not at all. I uh, highly suggest buying in bulk for everybody. One, it saves the environment because you can bring your own containers. Um, and uh, I just I find a lot cheaper. So I can get a bag of I can get like a huge bag of rice or a not bag container of rice from the bulk store for maybe like two, three dollars, whereas half of that would cost me six dollars to get at a grocery store, um, which I think might just be the bulk aspect of it. I like um, that, though. Yeah. I, I like the half price stuff. Yeah. And when I it mean. comes to uh, vegetables, I think vegetables in general, um, I know right now celery is like really expensive, but I think in general, uh, vegetables will be a lot cheaper than buying meat over and over and over again. Yeah. And they'll fill you up, too. They will fill you up. Trust and me. That's the other thing. Yeah. 
do you feel full? Do you have the same amount of energy that you had before? Those kinds of things. I think I overeat a lot, to be honest. Uh, we have uh, me and my partner, Justin, our, his, our, uh, we have someone living with us, with us right now who often eats our food. And he's always like, he was like, oh, I thought it'd be really full. But we made like um, made like KFC popcorn bowls the other night with some textured vegetable protein. And uh, he was like, he like went back for a second bowl. But he was like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm like feeling really full. He's like, I never expected to feel this full. And like now he's going around to work and like kind of telling everybody how full he feels and showing off our meals. And I'm like, yeah. Yes, please spread the love. <laughs> so wait a minute. You just said KFC popcorn balls. Yeah, so we do uh, KFC popcorn. So like popcorn chicken. Mm-hmm. It's like just little chicken balls, right? Like but they're not, this deep-fried. is not real chicken. So this, we use textured vegetable protein chunks. Okay. Um, basically, you soak them and we do it in vegetable broth and like some uh, liquid smoke or whatever flavor you really want. Liquid smoke is a thing. So if you want things to taste smoky, you can buy this thing called liquid smoke and you just <laughs> literally a drop and everything will be smoky right all these ingredients you never really knew existed um yeah so we do the kfc chicken bowl um so what we do is we do little popcorn chicken tvps we soak them let all the texture get all the flavor in there um and then we just bread them like regular with um flour and non-dairy milk and you know the usual stuff um yeah and then we just get mashed potatoes put in our vegan butter and uh some peas and carrots and um we do uh yeah, that, yeah, that's it. And that's you have a non-vegan it. going back for seconds. I think that says something right there, Jacqueline. I, I'm leaning. I, <laughs> I'm leaning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna investigate Join this. Us. I'll need your help. I, yeah, I, I'm being drawn over. I don't even think it's a dark side. It's probably the right side to tell you <laughs> the truth, especially when we're talking about growing our meat in factories in in the next little while. Jacqueline, thank you for this. No problem at all. Jacqueline Carbone, 980 CFPL producer. We'll take a break. We're going to talk about millennials and millennials and the struggle that exists right now in a world that seems to be really, really expensive. We're going to talk about broke millennials in about 10 minutes on London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Email from James says, salmon is the new steak. Oh, I agree, but salmon's not free either. And by free, I mean, it's not affordable either. There's a great lesson that comes from food out of the UK today. There was a woman who brought home a cottage pie. It was a frozen cottage pie. And I take it, help me out with this, if you've eaten enough food in England to know, I think a cottage pie is a lot like a shepherd's pie, isn't it? It's got ground beef and some vegetables, and I think you put potato on the top. Well, she brought home her cottage pie, and she zapped it in the microwave. And when she took it out, she thought, seriously, this is terrible. This, is, it's, this doesn't even look edible. And it didn't. She actually took pictures of it and put them up on Facebook. And she had the caption, don't buy cottage pie from wherever the grocery store is, Sainsbury's. We don't have those here. Don't buy cottage pie from Sainsbury's as this is what happens when you put it in the microwave. And there was a picture of it. And this thing is shriveled and basically gone. Now, if you looked closely at her post, there was there was a, another line on it. So it said, don't buy cottage pie from Sainsbury's, as this is what happens when you put it in the microwave. And the last line said, for 45 minutes. So she posted that complaining and all upset, and immediately people started to pile on. Social media, ruthless. And pointed out to her <laughs> that I don't think there's anything 
that you can or should microwave for 45 minutes. This obviously said put it in the oven, and she had no idea either the difference between an oven and a microwave. I don't know what's going on. But she put it in her microwave for 45 minutes. Are you even supposed to run a microwave for 45 minutes? Wouldn't it say on the side, please do not run for longer than 10 minutes at a time? This could explode. There's no way. She ran her microwave for 45 minutes. When she pulled it out, it, it wasn't even on fire. How was that? How was that possible? 45 minutes in a microwave. So she uh, was significantly buried on social media and now is trying to have a laugh at it. She ended up posting later. I thought it said 45 minutes in the microwave. It just had small writing. Whew. Let it be a lesson to all of us. Don't complain. And, and it's not let it be a lesson to all of us. Don't put something in the microwave for 45 minutes. No. No one would do that. Let it be a lesson to all of us. Make sure you're not the one in the wrong before you start complaining about somebody on social media. Let's take a break. Up next, broke millennials. They're not broken, but yeah, broke millennials. We'll talk about it. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have quite the spread of things happening in our world, especially in North America. Things are, are very spread out. Right now, you have some very fortunate individuals who bought low in Toronto and now sell their houses for 800000 900000 when some of them paid 45000 for them in the first place. And a lot of them have been able to retire and come this way and welcome to the area. Now, that's not a bad thing. Wow. I mean, that's very fortunate. That's amazing. And then we've got a different kind of a situation at another end of our lives. Not the people who are retiring and moving. The people who are trying to break into everything right now. They're out of school, so they're somewhere around the age of 23, but they stretch all the way through until about 38. And there was a great article put out by Vice Canada and their economics and money editor, Anne Gaviola, and it deals with kind of the crunch that's going on, and it's titled, I'm a broke millennial, should I declare bankruptcy? Wait a minute. How old are you? Well, somewhere between the ages of 23 and 38. Declare bankruptcy? Certainly it can't be like that. No, no, that, that, that can't be a thing. Declare bankruptcy? Well, we'll talk with Ann in just a moment. First, though, Mike joins us. Mike, how are things? Good, how are you? Good, what's up? Uh, I'm 25, so I think I fit in the millennial category. You're right there. And I think the issue with uh, millennials is that they're rather entitled. Like, I'm, I, my parents always said that they raised us with uh, the goal of being independent in mind. But most millennials seem to be uh, quite dependent on their parents and just assume that they'll be there and don't really want to grow up. Now, what do you attribute that to, Mike? Is it is it that it's been 
it's been easy for your parents or parents of millennials to give them what they've needed because some of them have lived in pretty fortunate situations. Do you do you look at that? Have we have we not taught the value of money or the value of hard work? Uh, that that I don't know. I think uh, I think we've just told people that they they deserve stuff. Like not only should we give you this, but you deserve you deserve everything that you're getting. And I think uh, there's not much of a sense of you actually have to work for what you get. Interesting like, thought. I've, I've been married for five years now. Um, we have two kids. My wife's a stay-at-home mom, and even with her being a stay-at-home mom, and I don't have a rather modest uh, income, we've already bought our first house three years ago, sold that, bought another house, and it's really not that hard. You just you just got to live within your means and actually work for what you get. It's not nothing difficult about it. But you're seeing entitled attitude as being maybe one of those stumbling blocks. I, I believe so, yes. Mike, thanks for the call. Thank you. 519-643-2222. Let's go now to Ann Gaviola, who again has written an article on Vice Canada about Broke millennials. And as Mike says, he believes that there's there's an attitude issue there. Let's look at some of the other issues that exist. And thanks so much for being here. Hi there. Thanks for having me. And let's look at, at what you point to as being some of the issues that millennials and I believe they're they're put down kind of as, as the age of 23 to 38 that they're dealing with. That's right. So what's different, what's new, is that this group, millennials, are filing for bankruptcy and consumer proposals. So these are legal options that they have for dealing with being chronically broke and owing a lot of money. They're doing all this younger and faster than previous generations. This is according to one of Canada's leading bankruptcy firms, Hoyes Michaelos. They're based in Ontario. They looked at 4,200 personal insolvency filings last year, And, yeah, millennials are the fastest-growing cohort filing for insolvency. That includes bankruptcy. And they owe, on average, about $35,000. Wow. Okay. And do we know where some of this debt is coming from? Uh, So there are a lot of things contributing to this debt. And what's unique about this group is the type of debt that they hold. So I heard about your guest, and, and he was talking about, you know, having already bought his second house. He sounds like he's quite established. When we talk about millennials, they're not just one group all sort of doing the same thing. There are sort of millennial haves and millennial have-nots, but I'll get into that in just a moment. We're talking about a generation that, for many of them, they're struggling with record levels of student debt. Tuition has cost them more, but when they're done school, their job prospects aren't quite so rosy. So for a lot of them, they're cobbling together a bunch of side hustles. So we're talking, you know, a contract job, not necessarily having any job security or or benefits. For some of them, yes, unsustainable spending habits are a factor. What's interesting about this group, though, is that they hold quite a lot of high-interest debt. What I mean by that is credit card debt, so 20% interest, and payday-style loans. So if you take out these short-term loans again and again over the period of the year, we crunched the numbers, the amount of interest you're going to pay on this is 380 plus percent. So that is what can turn someone who's sort of struggling financially into someone who is drowning in debt very quickly. It's like putting your debt on steroids. 
Anne Gaviola joining us from Vice Canada. We're talking about an article that Anne has done on broke millennials. Now, but those those are things that should be common sense type stuff that, no, don't rack up credit card debt because the interests are so high. Just because you get your paycheck, don't go to one of those high interest cash lenders. Don't, don't, don't. They're not hearing that? They're not being told that? They are not being told that. We know that um, the government has tr- sort of tried to get an idea of why people go to these kinds of loans. And part of it is that people just don't understand that this kind of loan is higher interest than, say, a cash advance on your credit card. Uh, so there is an education piece that's missing. It's also really easy and convenient for them to be able to access this kind of loan. You don't even need to stand in a lineup anymore. Uh, you can literally sign up for this online from your computer or your laptop or your phone, and it's it's a few clicks away. So that is a big part of it, too. Wow. We're talking about millennial bankruptcy, millennial financial trouble with Ann Gaviola from Vice Canada. What do you see as being recommendations for people to kind of turn around from that situation? So in my article, I do lay out sort of several steps for you to help to help you figure out what kind of situation you're in and what you can do next. I will add this, too, which is sort of unique to millennials, according to Doug Hoyes, who's an insolvency trustee at Hoyes Michaelos. He says, this generation may feel, unlike your previous guest, but the ones who are really struggling, they might feel like, you know what, I'm never going to be buying a house anyway. So even though filing is going to impact my ability to access credit for years and borrow money for years, maybe that's not so bad because my prospects don't look great anyway. So there is a level of maybe some of that stigma being removed. But to your question, what can you do? You have to figure out how much trouble you're in. Look at your financial obligations, pull out all your bills, figure out the interest that you owe. Can you hang in there or is this something that's going to go from bad to really bad in a very short amount of time? Figure out ways to increase your income, reduce expenses. That's nothing new. Maybe you get a roommate. Maybe you start another side hustle. Can you get a loan from a friend or a family member that is low interest? You have to look at all your options. Maybe do you qualify for a debt consolidation loan, make things simple. Um, And then if you get, you keep going down sort of this ladder and you find that, you know, this is not enough. This is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. There's more to come. It might be worth it for you to go in to see uh, an accredited personal bankruptcy trustee. Yeah, before Um, things kind of spiral out of control, for sure. So that's the thing. Yeah, there is some people say, oh, that's, you know, they they feel entitled, they're going to do this. But actually, experts tell me what's worse is if they put it off, put it off, put it off. And then by the time they come in to see someone, you know, they've been struggling for years, their debt load is much bigger, and it's a lot harder to fix. So, I mean, think of it as, would you put off going to see a doctor for a really long time and just let it fester? No. Good point. And thanks so much for the time. Not at all. Take care. Bye. That's Ann Gaviola from Vice Canada, and she looked into some numbers that had come out from Hoyes Michaelis, and basically those numbers indicated that you've got more and more millennials, so someone who falls into between the ages of 23 and 38, filing for bankruptcy. And as Ann pointed to it, it wasn't that, you know, they've they've jumped into a mortgage that they can't handle because we've got regulations on that. That's difficult to do. It wasn't that they were necessarily feeling that entitlement, although I, I have to agree with Mike who said it and Al just sent an email saying there is an entitlement issue. The big problem, they believe debt is okay. It's easier to borrow 
than it was when we were young, which is absolutely true. They're taught in school it's okay to have debt. I disagree with that unless it's your home and not a huge home either. I've taught my kids that if you can't pay for it, you can't have it. I taught them both to save money. TFSAs, investments, have taught them the difference between want and need. Sometimes that takes tough love, but it has to be taught. Al, I cannot agree with you more. Pay your bills. Don't use credit cards to pay for day-to-day expenses. It'll creep up on you. 519-643-2222. Let's head to the phones with Brian. Brian, how do you feel about this? I could not disagree with your first caller anymore. He got lucky. Or maybe his expectations of life are just much, much lower. But, I mean, when we have the housing market spiraling way out of control, um, there are people that can't save fast enough. And they're penny-pinching, they're eating ramen noodles. But the real estate market is going up such that they can't, no matter how tight they get their belt, save for a house. It's just, it is not in the cards, and it never will be. And to say these people are entitled, it shouldn't be entitlement to ever own a home. Like that's, that's just part of how we are as a society. We're supposed to be able to own a home. And I'm in the position right now that I can't afford the down payment. I have $40,000, and I can't afford a down payment in a, of a reasonable house. Now, maybe, maybe we need to redefine entitlement because I think there's, there's another term that's out there called FOMO, fear of missing out. And maybe I think that's where we get that entitlement thing because I think, in, maybe not in your case, but in some cases, you're looking at the allocation of funds to things that, as Al pointed out, are wants and not needs. Yeah, but... but I, I deserve that because everybody else seems to have that. Or I need to go on a vacation that's worth three grand this year because everybody else seems to be doing that. And I wonder no, if, if Mike, that falls into Mike, it. Mike, your age is showing. Come on now. People, <laughs> these millennials, they're not going on vacation. They can't keep a job because the bosses think that they are disposable. And they are. Every employee is disposable. And that is, that is an, there are so many problems with why people can't get by in this world, and millennials are suffering because of it, because they're not taught anything in school. You remember Home Ec? Yeah, I Home do. Home is gone. Home economics is crucial, and it's gone. Well, that's what Anne was pointing out from Vice Canada, that you have people who are not instructed on, hey, don't take advantage or don't, don't, think that you're taking advantage by going and getting a payday loan or, or using a credit card to pay off another credit card. No, like, that, that's exactly the point. Nobody's taught, we're taught binomials instead of budgeting and trigonometry instead of taxes. Like, we need the, fu- like, people need the fundamentals in school and what they're coming up with now, the, mil- the generation after the millennials, they're in even worse shape because their entry into the working world is an average of $18 an hour and to be able to save for a house, you have to be in the high 20s. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, earlier in the program, I heard on the news or uh, possibly Craig's uh, show that vegetables cost 16% more this year. Sure. Do you make 16% more, Mike, than nope. you did last year? Definitely not. So it's catching up to people who are doing good because there are people that are, were doing good last year that are not going to doing good this year, and that's going up and up and up, and people are slipping below the poverty line 
because everything's getting way, way more expensive and they can't keep a job and they're not getting paid for the jobs they can keep. Brian, thanks for the call today. Cheers. Cheers. 519-643-2222. If you are on hold, please stay with us. We'll try and fit in those calls. Got to take a break. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're on the topic of broke millennials. You can look at statistics that show there are broke millennials, but how are they getting there? Too much debt. Well, how's that debt being accumulated? You would think mortgage and school. Well, we just had a guest saying, no, it's more like payday loans and credit cards that have been a problem, and we're seeing bankruptcies. Thank you to everybody who's been hanging on as as long as you have. We'll fit in one more call right now, then we'll go to news, and we can pick up this topic after news as well. 519-643-2222. John, your thoughts on this? Hey, John. Yes. What are your Uh, thoughts? My thought is, you know, the millennials want a cashless society, right? I well, I mean, we're all getting a cashless society, no matter who wants it. Cashless society, it's not going to teach them anything about debt or earning money. Just put them off to the side for emergencies or whatever. You make a great point because you know what it is. Boop. Hey, I owe this much. Boop. There, I just paid for it. Yeah, but if you have a cashless society, now you've got the government in there. When looking after all your accounts, they know what you got. Well, I mean, they they can look at it if they want to, I suppose. I don't know what the permission structure is like for that. Yeah. But, John, you make a great point in that the value of a dollar is not what it used to be, and I think that is a major contributing factor to this. John, thanks for the call today. One thing you gets me, uh, Mike. Yep. Have you ever seen a kid go in and buy a pack of gum? With a credit card? <laughs> you know yeah, what? You, i got to admit, I've bought a pack of gum with a credit card. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you must have been hard up. <laughs> Thanks, John. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. Got a break for news. Let's continue this discussion after news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We are looking at broke millennials, for a lack of a better term. and. It's a thing. And we have heard a number of different sides on this already. If you want to add your side, please do so. 519-643-2222. Came out of a conversation that we had with Ann Gaviola from Vice Canada that looked at bankruptcies. And bankruptcies that were coming from people between the ages of 23. Bankruptcy? 23 and 38. And that seems awfully young. And their debt load was $35,000. And we had a great call from Mike. And Mike had said, you know, this this is not the way it has to be. It is tough, but you can make it through. And then we had a call from Brian saying, you know what, that's that's not the case. This, this is a really hard go out there in order to try to get yourself into, say, a house in order to try and put aside some savings because a lot of entry-level positions are at $18 an hour. And you're not going to get very far in savings at $18 an hour in today's world. Back to the phones we go with Mike. And, Mike, you wanted to add something else. Sorry, Mike. Uh, yeah, after hearing Brian, 
Uh, I just wanted to mention that when I bought my first house, I was at $18 an hour. I was 22. I put a uh, $50,000 deposit on it. And it's not like I lived with my parents forever. I moved out at 17. So it's not like they were uh, supporting me financially with this. And had you saved it, up the $50,000 deposit? Yes. That's impressive. It's I lived in an apartment before that with my sister. We Our rent was uh, pretty cheap. Went for one year of college uh, straight after moving out. It's like if you're 35 living in your parents' basement and you're fully like able-bodied, then I don't think there's too good of an excuse for why, why you can't at least find yourself an apartment. Also... Uh, Brian had said that millennials are disposable and employers don't need to keep them around. I think that's totally up to the individual. I'm not disposable. I have in, uh, co-workers who, uh, like, it's nice having them around, but if they weren't here, it wouldn't, like, it would be a bummer. It wouldn't hurt the company too much. But my boss is the same age as me. He's got, uh, like, and he wasn't financially supported by his parents either, and he's got 30 guys working for him. Hey, Mike, so. you're an example of how to make it work, and thank you for being that example. Thank you. Take care. 519-643-2222. That being said, it is not easy. It is not. And a lot of what Ann Gaviola from Vice Canada points to in her article is millennials or people of that age, I mean, do we have to call them millennials? Do they call themselves millennials? I think so. But people in that age, so 20s and then early 30s, they are in a situation where they're living paycheck to paycheck. The question becomes, why? Now, Kimmy has emailed Mike at 980cfpl.ca and says, Mike, I think the majority of issues that you discussed affect millennials under the age of 30. Most people nearing their 40s, she says, I'm in my late 30s, are not in this boat. For under 30, yes, it's total entitlement and complete lack of responsibility. That's how Kimmy feels. 519-643-2222. Bob, how do you feel? Well, wow. Mike, Mike that called in. Uh, I don't know the guy, but I'll tell you what, I'd hire him. He's a go-getter. Brian, he's waiting for something to fall in his lap. That ain't going to happen. Now, we don't know that. I don't know these guys personally either. No, but I I can tell by by what people say. Now, you can go back in any generation, and everybody will make an excuse why they can't find a job or why they can't get ahead. The onus is on the individual. Uh, My grandparents came here with a couple you know, pennies to rub together from the old country. They did nothing. Nobody gave them anything, and they made it work. Why? Because they hustled, and they went after it. And they knew what they could afford and what they couldn't afford at times through their life, so they didn't get in debt. They didn't have credit cards. They were responsible for themselves. They didn't have any self-entitlement, okay? Now, I was growing up in the 80s. I was on my, I was gone out of the door when I was like, what, 19 years old, out west, looking for jobs, working on oil rigs, finding anything, just getting out there in life and enjoying things. I'm not the only one, right? I didn't wait around for somebody to throw it in my lap. So when I hear people make all these excuses up of why they can't get ahead, I bought my first house at 18% in the 80s. You probably remember that. Maybe <laughs> 18 yeah. to 21. Yeah, my first house I bought was a house I could afford at 18%. Now today, and my I have nephews and nieces doing this. 
Now they're now I find my and they're millenniums, my nephews and nieces. And what I find now is they want to go buy a five hundred thousand dollar house. And if you look at the interest rates today, they're like two or three percent. So they got the two or three percent on their side. But you better know what you can and can't afford. And the other thing is with the school. And, and if you're going to school and you're going to get yourself in debt, before you enter that school or apply for an occupation, make sure it's, you're going to be able to be employed in that when you get out. So don't go for basket weaving and expect to make $80,000 a year. All right? That ain't going to happen. Don't be stupid with credit cards. Be responsible. And don't wait for somebody to teach you this stuff. You're looking at a generation who has information at their fingertips. If you don't know how to cook, go on YouTube. You'll know how to cook something in like three minutes. <laughs> don't give me this, we don't have information. Home economics? Are you kidding me? If I want anything in the world to know how to do, fix anything in my house, I can go on on the internet, find out how to do it. There's a video for it. it. Yeah, right. So I don't want to hear all these excuses by these people. Like I have a son who's 29. He's a mil- uh, mil- millennium, right? So he went to college. He went from number one, he went for something and he could get a job and something he loved to do. He had a passion for Great, good for him. He got out, he worked a job, kind of found it a dead end street. He, he, he had a $50,000 job three, two or three years out of college, making good money. So he came to me one day and he said, Yeah, I'm kind of bored with it. He says, I'm looking at doing this, trying something else. I says, What is it? He says, Well, there's an internship with the Toronto Blue Jays uh, I can get for, for a year, for a whole season. I says, okay, well, what's the situation there? He says, well, he says they're only going to be paying me like 14 bucks an hour. So he, he dropped a $50,000 an hour job, and he sacrificed for a year. He had money he saved. He went and got an apartment. He lived modestly. He got that internship, and that led him to a dream job that he wanted, okay? And so... I give him credit for that, but I really can't stand people calling in and saying, well, geez, I'm waiting for a knock on the door for somebody to offer me uh, an 80000 or $50,000 you know, a year job. It don't work that way in any generation. You can't sell me that snake oil that it's so tough I have to live in my parents' basement at 35 and 40. No, like uh, Mike said, if you're living in your parents' basement at 35 and 40, you're lazy ass and you don't want to do anything and stop playing video games or whatever it is you're wasting your time on. So, I, 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 you know, this generation, nothing's going to be fair in life. And I think a lot of people are realizing that life ain't fair. There's no guarantees for anybody. Never has been. You made a great point <laughs> right. in that, Bob. There never yeah. has been. Thanks for the call yeah. today. All right. Take Have a great care. day. And Bob's exactly right. No, there are there are a lot of people with a lot of amazing stories just like that. You show up in a country and you make something of yourself to give yourself and your future family members something. So, I mean, that's that story's been there forever. The one thing I wonder about right now, and we'll go back to the phones in just a minute, is the value of a dollar. And... That's something we have discussed, my wife and I, long and hard about how do we teach our kids the value of a dollar. And something I want to explore in just a couple of minutes. Back to the phones we go right now with Al. Al, thanks for hanging on. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Hey. Good. Bob is right. So, I mean, I'm 40, uh, so I'm closer to the millennial than I am a baby boomer. So I can see both sides. I think generation squeeze is a valid argument in some cases. For example, you know, my dad, um, he found a great good paying job in the public sector with benefits 
uh, and a good pension, um, and he didn't even graduate from high school. That is impossible today. So the, the educational you know, competitiveness of today's job market um, simply isn't comparable to the standard baby boomer experience. And in many cases, that does force people into debt. But Bob is right. You have to choose your degree or diploma correctly. Basket weaving is not going to give you a lucrative position. You need to kind of decide, you know, is this going to give me employability? But I'm going to say this as well. You know, the, the housing market is not the same as it was back in the 80s. Yes, the interest rate was high, but uh, the real estate prices were also affordable relative to what the average wage was, unlike today where it's completely difficult to get into the job market, especially if you're, you don't have um, a first, you know, first house. But here's the real problem, and that is that consumer spending has not changed to reflect that economic reality, Mike. Mm-hmm. So you have millennials who, you know, no matter what they, no matter what they're making, they have the latest smartphone with a data plan. They are found at Starbucks with their Mac, uh, MacBook open, sipping on a latte. Um, you know how many times we bought coffee in a day back when you and I were were young or watched our parents buy coffee in a day? You just didn't. You didn't go to a coffee shop. No, now, I know they didn't exist in the same way, but that whole attitude of doing things. You know how many times you ate out? You didn't. That it was, was a that treat, was a right? big deal. Now everybody's eating out more than once a week. That's right. And in the millennial case, that's even more so the case. Um, and, and that's just the reality. Obviously, there are exceptions. I don't want to be generalizing with an entire generation. There's obviously exceptions. Oh, sure. Some millennials that are frugal, economically conservative, and very successful. But the reality is that they haven't changed the consumer thing, which is why, you know, their credit, it's not line of credit problems. It's consumer debt. It, it is credit cards um, and high interest stuff. So, A, what, how do we fix this? We, we get, uh, you know, financial literacy back into our schools. I mean, that's one. Um, two, they have to start, and it goes back to needs versus wants. And, uh, and until they start deciding that, until they say, oh, if they're making $1,000 a week, they think they have $1,000 to spend that week, they need to change the mentality and understand that they are going to need to save. Or if they're not, whatever, that's fine. And don't buy that car. Continue to you know use Uber taxi or <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, whatever and realize that you're simply not building any equity and you're not going to get ahead. Thanks for the call. Thanks. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. John, thanks for hanging on. Hey, you know what, Mike? I'm, I'm listening to the last two callers, and I pretty much believe in everything they say there is true. Um, I blame a lot of this uh, on parents, uh, and we're getting into a cycle now because we're getting the parents of the millennials started started this uh, cycle going. The millennials are just going to 100-fold pass it on to their kids. But... Uh, I'm turning 60, and uh, I'm not saying I grew up in the best time going or anything, but, you know, uh, back then, you know, I got out there when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, cutting grass, shoveling snow, all that sort of thing, which people still can do. People my age out there that will hire a kid to do it. I saw in my neighborhood uh, in the last week two different kids out at the side of the road selling lemonade. Those kids are going to go somewhere. <laughs> um, you know what? The, the, the opportunities are still there, but the parents, I blame, because, uh, 
you know, my my folks uh, got involved with things. Myself and my brothers did on Saturday. You know, maybe out playing road hockey. The parents would be out there instead of sitting in the house watching TV. Uh, these parents now, it seems like you know what they want to do their own things. They might be sitting in the basement playing games on the on the computer, and they just give their kids money to go out with their friends that their parents have given money, and they hang out at A and W or McDonald's. Yeah, I go past Oak Ridge High School every day, which is the high school I went to. We, you know, you were considered lucky one day a week. Your parents maybe gave you money to eat in the cafeteria. Go past there at lunchtime now. The whole damn school, it looks like, is walking down to Oak Ridge Mall area to go to A&W or Popeye's or whatever. They're all eating out. Well, that's learned by their parents from giving the kids money. If the kids had part-time jobs... Uh, they might start gaining some respect for the money and wanting to save some of it. But, you know, you're right in some of the other, uh, uh, you know, money's cheap right now. If they get into a house or a condo or something, it's amazing. Like 23, 24-year-olds got their own place, uh, two BMWs out in the driveway. It can't be a used car. It's got to be, you know, a car with all the bells and whistles on it, all the new furniture. Where's the new furniture come from? Leon's or somewhere like that where they're paying everything on time. It seems... Uh, the kids today, when I say kids, I don't want to beat them all up because I'll tell you another story, but most people these days don't give a damn at how much money they make or how much something costs. They want to know how much a month it's going to cost me. Can I afford the pay? And all of a sudden they're like, holy jeez, I'm making $2,000 a month and I've got a hundred and, you know, or a thousand and nine hundred and eighty dollars worth of payments for all these different things I have. But I'll go back and I'm bragging on my kid here and a lot of other kids. Get your kids involved in something. At 12 years old, my son uh, became an air cadet, Lambert Lightning Air Cadets. Uh, went through that, took it like a duck to water, became the woe one, became a pilot through them, and that sort of thing. He's 21 years old now, going to school, paying his way a lot of it. I'm helping him, of course. But uh, he's in his third year at Air Force Base Trenton as a flight instructor there, wow. making $14,000 for the summer. Can't beat that, and they're nope. they're housing them and feeding them too. So it's really more than fourteen thousand dollars. <laughs> but you know what? I blame a lot of this on parents. You got to get involved with your kids. You got to get really involved and teach them what a dollar's worth. That's it. That's what it comes down to. We are we're losing sight of the value of a dollar because I think we ourselves are losing sight of the value of a dollar because you don't go to the bank on Friday and take it out. You can just use whatever you have, and unless you're getting those statements at the end of the day, it's difficult to know even what you do. I totally agree, and I get, I'm not sick, but I, I, I wonder why people keep blaming this on the schools. They should be taught this at the schools. No, they should be taught this by their parents, mm-hmm. but we're running into cycles now where the parents have no idea on how to balance yeah. a checkbook. So it's, I can't see it stopping. John, thanks for the call. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. Last word on this goes to a man who helped to start the conversation in the first place. Brian, you wanted to add a little something else, and the floor is yours. Well, I've never had to defend myself on any show before, but here goes. Um, I do live out on my own. I have two kids, um, and I've been working 50, 60, 70 hours a week since I was 23 years old. The hustle is not something unknown to me. What I was getting at was sort of an insight as to why some people are falling behind and what some of my friends and people I've known see the situations they get into and uh, when I say I, I can't afford a home, I'm generally thinking of, like, I'm not going to move into a neighborhood of, as one of your calls says, something that I could afford because that's not going to be a safe neighborhood for my children. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. 
And I, so I, I hope that you don't feel that, that you've been completely slighted because we're trying to keep this open-ended. You've had one particular perspective and everybody else has had another particular expe- perspective, but I appreciate you calling back and, and kind of illustrating yours to a greater extent. I don't think anybody would begrudge you the fact that there's a certain place you would want to go with your kids. I completely agree. You're not just going to move into a place because you can afford it. You want to make sure that it has what your family needs and the safety of children. That's number one. Well, absolutely. And uh, to your, uh, another caller there, he said, oh, well, you know, good, good employees, they stay. And that, that is true to a point, but there's a business owner up on the northwest end. Um, my wife, uh, she's on maternity leave from this company, and she found out that the owner of this company announced to the entire staff that every single one of her was, every single one of them was replaceable at the drop of a hat. Yeah, and it's unfortunate to hear things like that. I mean, there's there is that mentality that's out there. I, I don't know whether that's meant as motivation. It's a horrible motivation tactic. That's you can't have morale when you've got motivation tactics like that. So I mean, it's is somebody uh, Colin Cowherd. I point to this because I heard it recently. Seek out good management, and and you'll wind up being very very happy. Oh, I've been meaning to catch up on him on for a while. How did what did he say about the Raptors? <laughs> he and so many other people said the Raptors weren't going to do very well. And, uh, no, well, I know, but he's them. such a blowhard. <laughs> well, I like some of the things he says, and the seek out good management I like. Brian, I, I appreciate you calling back in. I wish you all the best. Keep your chin up, and, uh, and here's hoping that you do get what you're looking for in the end. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Okay, take care. That has been a great discussion. Thank you for that. And we didn't really even get into, John brought it up, and I'm glad he did, but the value of a dollar and how you do teach your kids that. The most important thing I can think of these days is when they turn 13, get them their own bank account. No, it's not a value of a dollar you hold in your hand, but it's still the value of a dollar. And as soon as they have a phone, they can get those statements at the end of the day and they can see, you know what, I have more money. You start them on an allowance, whatever it is, see if they can save. They get those numbers and they see what it is that they're saving for. Teach them how to save for something and it will pay off in the end. You have to learn the value of a dollar because it's so easy. And John said it before news, paying with a credit card for a pack of gum. I've done it because, you know, you want to mug me? You're not going to get any money. You get an old phone and uh, a, a key and buy six, get one free paint cans at home hardware. That's about all I'm carrying on me right now. So, boop, being able to pay for things makes it very, very difficult to teach the value of a dollar. I don't think it's impossible. Let's take a break. We'll let you know what's next on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Yesterday, something really interesting happened at City Hall. And after news, we're going to speak with the person who made it happen. I love when people come prepared for things and go, look, this, 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 this. It's, it's like you're writing an essay in school and you just go boom, 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 boom. There are my points. Boom, there you go. A plus. We will talk with Margaret Wills from Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center after news. And we have an opportunity for you to win tickets 
to go and hear Michelle Obama speak. An intimate evening with Michelle Obama. These tickets are actually going to go on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. We'll have details on that and how you can win a pair today. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Yesterday at City Hall, some fascinating points and some important points and some impassioned points were made by one individual, someone who we're going to be lucky enough to meet in about 30 seconds. One of the points that that individual made was this, and I want you to think about this, because I don't think that we spend enough time thinking about it. What is more important for a city? What is more important for a city? Not raising taxes year by year by year or being functional. What's of greater importance? Because every year when budgets come out, what do we hear? Well, you know, trying to get that that tax increase down, it sits at, and it's fill in the blank, 1.7, 3.2, 2.8, whatever it is, trying to get that down. And what does everybody do? Oh, good. Yeah, the the property tax increase is is only going to be 2.1% after all is said and done. And then we have to add on whatever add-ons there are. But being functional, isn't, isn't that the end goal? And if we looked at it differently, wouldn't we answer things differently? Wouldn't we say, yeah, but, but I, I do want the city to work. And if somebody said to you, you know, for an extra $45 or even an extra $145, whatever it would work out being, and it wouldn't even be that much, we could make the city more functional. I want you to think about that just for a second. As we welcome our next guest, Margaret Wills, head of the Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center. Margaret, thanks so much for doing what you did yesterday in making a presentation at City Hall and for joining us today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Let's uh, first off just learn a little bit here. What does the Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center do? Well, Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center is what we call a small but mighty uh, small agency in the heart of Hamilton Road. We're located right inside the front doors of the Crouch Branch Library, and we do a little bit of everything. So whatever people in our neighborhood need, we try to help them with it. We have an emergency food cupboard. We have baby needs. We do a men's lunch every week. We do a uh, family dinner once a month on a Friday night. Uh, let's see, we've got after-school programs and summer day camp programs. We run cards and games. So whatever our neighborhood needs is what we try and do. If you're just joining us on London Live, we just spent about 45 minutes talking about one type of what you would call a housing situation. I wouldn't call this a housing crisis, but a housing situation, and that is the affordability of new houses and really how millennials are dealing with that. That was part of our conversation. Mm -hmm. We want to look now at an actual housing crisis, and that was something that you really outlined well yesterday at City Hall. Can you give us a, a synopsis of what you presented well, what I was really saying to the um, <clears throat> Community and Protective Services Committee is there is no place for people to live right now. Um, people of um, who are maybe receiving Ontario Works or 
Ontario disability benefits um, or are, you know, on um, precarious income, there is no place for them to live. Um, right now, the um, wait list for um, rent geared to income housing sits at 5,000, um, and 1,000 of those people on that list are actually homeless. Those are big numbers. Those are huge numbers. And, you know, it's taken a while to get there, but it's kind of a perfect storm. And, and I do refer to it as a crisis because we're seeing um, probably a client a day who is being evicted or presently has no place to live, is staying on somebody's couch, um, is living down by the river. Um, and, you know, we can do applications with them. We can search for boarding rooms. But honestly, there is no place for people to live. So when you're talking about roughly 5,000 people needing a new place to live, would that be the description that they right now are are living with a, a relative, a friend, something like They do not have a, a house, a home of their own. A thousand of those 5,000 people are in that situation. So 1,000 of the people on that wait list um, do not have a place to live. Okay, and then how would we how would we classify the other 4,000? What situation would they be in? The other 4,000 probably have a place to live, but they're paying, paying 50 to 75% of their income in rent, leaving very little for... Um, uh, for anything else, they might be people who um, a landlord has said, has said look, I'm going to be doing reno- renovations. So, you know, six months from now, I'm going to be giving you your eviction notice or uh, somebody who's come into town, say, even if they've come in for a job, uh, they haven't started really getting regular paychecks. Um, but they're staying in a motel or something and they can afford it until they get a place to live. It's it's kind of, they've got a place, um, but it's not viable. Gotcha. We're talking with Margaret Crouch, or sorry, we're talking with Margaret <laughs> Wills from the Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center on Hamilton Road. So, Margaret, you were able to present this issue yesterday, and it's one that, that we, we know is there, the city does know is there. What do you see as being something you would like to have happen? Well, the city right now is undertaking a new uh, five-year plan, and they're out doing consultations, et cetera. One of the things I said was, you know, when you're in a crisis, and I compared it to if there was a big flood or a hurricane and lots of displaced people, you know, now's not the time to say, okay, well, just give us, you know, a six months while we finish our planning and we'll find a place for you. Um, so I was hoping to light a fire and, and get them to, you know, do uh, find some solution within 30 days. And that might even just be a, a piece of land that's got some services, washrooms, showers, um, where people can camp out without being moved every day. So if somebody's camping out by the river, chances are somebody's coming along and moving them along every day. Um, You know, at least give them a place where they can have a shower, where they can use a washroom, um, and where they can stay put for 30 days until uh, we can find something, you know, more permanent for them. Um, Top up private sector rents (laughs) because... Um, some of the statistics show it, it costs $1,500 a month to keep somebody in shelter. Um, well, if that's the case, then give them a 1,000 of those 
1500 and let them find maybe something in private sector to rent or even stay in uh, a motel. But, you know, give them a roof over their heads. Yeah. Now, what has the reaction been since you made your presentation? Well, you know... There's lots of voices saying, you know, we're supportive. Unfortunately, um, in terms of the, you know, the things I proposed to the CAPS committee, they kind of took the easiest route, and that was they referred back to staff to find out how many uh, rent-geared-to-income units are empty right now and report back and let them know if they need more money to hire people to get those turned around quicker. Um, You know, that helps. But uh, um, it's kind of the least of what was suggested. Right. It's, it's not addressing something like you say that, that will happen later today where someone who has been forced to go and find a place not to live, really, but just to stay down right. by the river or somewhere else, they're going to be moved along. That's, that's not addressing that at all. No. And it's, it's not addressing the fact that there are um, you know, families being evicted and families paying 50 to 75 percent of their income in rent. Um, and the family shelter, Rotham, is full. It's full to capacity. It's beyond capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, we, I really don't want to see London being a place where there's parking lots full of families living in cars. That, that's the case in California. I don't think that it's a viable option for London, Ontario. Right. Well, Margaret, we really appreciate you making the presentation yesterday, keeping this in the conversation, because that's where it needs to be. I, I wish there was a, a way to wave a magic wand and, and make things better. But you you mentioned the way that money is allocated. Do you feel that we should be looking at that and saying, OK, well, if it's costing this much money in order to put someone in this type of housing, couldn't we do it better? Do, do you feel that that question needs to be asked? I do. And do you feel there's a better answer to it than what we're getting? Um, I think so. I, I, yes, I do think so, um, that there's probably a better way of, of doing things. Hopefully the plan that's being developed is going to identify some of those better ways. Um, but what I'm saying is right now it's an emergency and we just need to get people in, in shelters. Margaret, thank you. Thank you. We're talking right now with Margaret Wills, Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center representative. So we have overflowing shelters. We've known that for some time now. And it's it's difficult to to say that that's kind of the, the way that it, it is and and that's the way that it has been and and there is no better solution. You know, I I look at City Hall and say, you can't necessarily put it on them and say, okay, well, you know, it's it's all of, of their their doing or or they need to be the ones that fix it. You do have to refer back to staff. You do you do have to find a way to, you know, create whether it's a different shelter, but then how is that funded? And what do we know about government money right now? As we head into an election federally, yeah, it's under wraps. As we look provincially, uh, it's not exactly being doled out to the same extent that it's being cut back. So there isn't a great solution. And even if you do look at the cost of housing somebody, it's not like, okay, well, we can just take that that whatever amount of money, $1,500, $1,000, and turn it over to somebody else. 
it's not that easy. I mean, you can estimate it being that because it costs this much to do this and this much to do this, and you add it all together. The thing is, we do need more shelters, and we do need more attention paid to this. And it's not one of those things that winds up being a politician's stepping stone. And that's that's how we have to if, – if we could have a politician who could use this and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the champion of housing. And I am going to be the champion of making sure that everybody has a roof over their head. We have seen that kind of in the way that the poverty panel started off in London. But overall, we're, we're not seeing that everywhere. We're not seeing that at every level. And that's something that would be important in making some advancements. Advancements are coming. I mean, we discussed this the other day when it comes to poverty, when we were talking with Kelly Ziegner from the United Way, that you know, you're, you're trying to eliminate it within a generation. It can't happen overnight. But thanks to Margaret for at least keeping those numbers front and center she says 5,000 families needing a new place to live. 1,000 of those families do not, or people, do not have a place to live right now. And others, it's not adequate. You're paying 50 to 75% of your money to rent. And that's, that's not conducive to a very good lifestyle. Let's take a break. Up next, we're going to give you a chance to win tickets to go and see someone very special. Michelle Obama. In October, this is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Tomorrow at 10 in the morning, this is something special. Former First Lady Michelle Obama is going to be in the area. She's actually going to be in Hamilton on Friday, October the 11th at the First Ontario Centre. And tickets go on sale for this through Ticketmaster at Ticketmaster.ca tomorrow at 10 a.m. But we happen to have tickets to go and see Michelle Obama speak. And we will offer those up right now with a skill testing question. You must name the, I guess, I guess there's two answers to this. 519-643-2222. You must give us one of the names of the Obama family dogs. There are actually two of them, but one of the names of the Obama family dogs, 519-643-2222. If you know the name of either of the dogs, you don't have to know the name of both dogs, give us a call, 519-643-2222, and you will win yourself tickets, if you are the first person to do it, to go and see Michelle Obama speaking in Hamilton, she, of course, First Lady of the United States from 2009 to 2017 and has been a champion of, of so many different issues and initiatives and is one of those people that just she makes a difference. And she's going to be speaking in Hamilton. So 519-643-2222, if you can name either of the Obama family's dogs – Let's go to the phones with Scott. Scott, give us a name. Hey, it's uh, I'm going to go with Bo. You're going to go with the right one. Congratulations. Nice. You are going to be going and seeing Michelle Obama. Scott, hang on just a minute, and we'll get some more information from you. Bo was their first dog, and the other answer that also would have worked is Sonny. Sonny, I guess they, they call Sonny the younger sister of Bo. I don't know if they actually... 
I don't think they were from the same litter, same mom. I don't know. But yes, Bo and Sonny, if you didn't win tickets to go and see Michelle Obama today, we will have an opportunity for you to win tickets coming up tomorrow. We will be back to close out the show in just a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This might go down as best job ever. Unfortunately, I think you have to be an American in order to get it. But applications are due in by tonight, June 19th, at midnight central time. So it's at 1 a.m. our time. And it's through Reynolds Wrap. Here's what the job is. They're looking for someone to travel across the United States. That's why I think you have to be American. But you never know. You might be able to apply for this. Go to the Reynolds Rap website. I'll try and find the, the address for Reynolds Rap in just a minute. But here's what you're looking to do before you even apply. You are looking to go across the United States and you are going to be paid $10,000 in order to do this. And I think this lasts uh, two weeks. What? This is even getting better. First two weeks of August, okay? And you are going to travel across the United States, and you are searching for the best ribs in America. So you're going to be sampling ribs. They're going to pay you $5,000 a week to do it. They're going to put you up, so they'll find places for you to stay. And they're searching for the best ribs in America. You will be in charge of posting photos, talking about grilling techniques, and doing other multimedia on the company's website and social media channels while eating some of the best ribs anywhere. Even even if you are Canadian, isn't it worth at least giving this a shot? Uh, Midnight tonight... Uh, what have I found? Reynolds Consumer Product Brands? I'm not sure that's exactly it. Google Reynolds Wrap. Maybe this this will help to be the skill-testing question for this. Google Reynolds Wrap and figure out how to apply for that. Reynolds Wrap website. And if you don't have to be an American, that's a heck of a job. Five grand a week for two weeks to eat ribs. Mind-blowing. Okay, we are out of time for today. Tomorrow on the show, lots more to do. We're getting close to the NBA draft. We're getting close to the NHL entry draft. We'll try and take a trip to Vancouver. We do have some good London content coming up for the NHL entry draft. Londoner Ryan Suzuki and London Knight Connor McMichael could both hear their names called on Friday night in round number one. So we'll follow that. But tomorrow, the Raptors draft 59th, unless, of course, they part ways with Masai Ujiri. And no, that's that's apparently not going to happen, but you never know. Big trade made today in the NBA. We'll have more sports news coming up. Canada getting set to take on the Netherlands tomorrow in Women's World Cup soccer. We've got news on the way next. Thanks to Kelly Wong for all her help. London Live, brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. You are listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.